0: From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats.
1: This is my opportunity to only talk about those colors, and then somehow the lusciousness of the frosting, the cakiness of the cake, the smoothness of the plastic in that refrigerator, all like somehow mingle themselves into that, and that's exciting to me.
0: On our show this week, we revisit a conversation with artist Molly Dowthit about her painting practice involving food, kitchen spaces, and food's power to connect us with the past and with the people we love. And nutrition educator Kendra Brewer walks us through the steps of making and preserving apple pie filling. That's all just ahead, so stay with us. We are in full on pie season. Well, let me rephrase that. Every season is pie season. In the summer, you have all that fruit to bake into pies. But many of us associate winter holidays with pie baking pumpkin, sweet potato, pecan, apple. Today, we have instructions for how to make your own pie filling during apple season and then preserve it to use throughout the year. Our guide is Kendra Brewer who was the education coordinator at Mother Hubbard's Cupboard when I visited during their food day celebration in 2017.
2: We're prepping the apples to go into the um, blanching bath. And then we're going to let the apples sit And um, while we prepare the rest of the apples. What,
0: what part are you doing? I am slicing the apples. And what's going on over here? I see a fancy contraption. What are you doing again? I'm peeling the apples for the peeler. Volunteer Courtney Zunica is using what some call an Apple Master. It's a hand crank gadget that spins an apple on a central spike, while a blade follows the surface of the apple, peeling the skin in one long strip. And the
2: minute is almost up, so we'll be taking our apples out of the blanching water. So
0: the process is peeling the apples, slicing the apples, and coring them. And then putting them in a blanch bath for just a minute or so?
2: Yeah, once the water comes to a boil for about a minute.
0: And then what else is going to be added to them before they get canned?
2: And then we're going to mix them with um, our sugar syrup over here that has the apple pie seasoning in it. And then we'll put them into the canning jars. There's one more step that we didn't mention, which is we're putting the slices into lemon juice, lemon water, so that they don't brown before we blanch them
0: we'll come back to the kitchen for the rest of the process later in the show Molly Douthit is a professional artist. She's a painter. She currently lives in Grand Forks, North Dakota, with her parents. She teaches art at a local middle school. Molly says it wouldn't be Christmas without the Kiss cookie. Her mom makes it every year, but Molly admits it isn't her favorite. We agree that the chocolate-to-cookie ratio is a bit off, so she painted it. One tiny dab of peanut butter dough with a Hershey's Kiss on top, nestled neatly in the divot of the crackled cookie. And then she sent that little quarter-inch image of the cookie to me, mounted on a card with a holiday greeting. It might possibly be the best Christmas card ever created. And it reminded me of our conversation in November, about paint and food and memory and connection with the people we love. I started by asking Molly how she got started
1: painting food and kitchen spaces. So I had an exhibition in 2017 at the museum in my hometown, and like I was really struggling with how to build work for the show, and I think I was trying to find my voice as a painter and figure out things, and I think as you're searching for your artistic voice, you're not looking in the right places. I got frustrated um, in my studio that was not close to my house and I brought my easel home I set it up and I started painting my kitchen just whatever was happening and it would be like milk jugs or whatever and I've always gravitated towards food as a subject matter but it really exploded with that work. My grandparents owned a restaurant when I was growing up and it was a steakhouse and they actually lived at the restaurant so it was like me sort of like talking to my family through this medium that means so much to me Mm -hmm. and I think that's really it defined why I'd been painting food so much in the past and it liberated me into like continuing that as like a subject matter that's quite central so you weren't living near your family at that time No, I actually did my master's in Ireland, and then I was able to stay in Ireland, and I was a painter there for many years. And then in 2017, I just decided it coincided with the show, and just for a few reasons, I thought it was about time that I come home. So can you talk a little bit about your current living situation and where you paint and what that looks like? (laughs) so right now I live with my family which is it's really nice and I've embraced the mobile studio I have an afternoon job which is really convenient so when my parents go to work I typically like make myself a really nice breakfast and then I have an easel that I bring upstairs and you know the kitchen is one of those spaces that always it typically doesn't have carpet in our house it's the only place that doesn't have carpet so it's where I feel safest to put that easel and next thing I know I'm looking around and I'm learning that your life is always in sort of transition like things can always change. My hometown went through a flood so that losing your objects but still knowing why they're important to you is a way for me to connect through painting so knowing that I might be leaving this space you know probably moving out at some point it really has helped me surface a lot of subject matter like a recipe book that my mom has had for years and being able to really spend time with that and through painting painting just gives me patience to sit and look and find those colors and sort of You know, I really love the cream against like a red and actually getting to create that. So that's my setup right now is just setting up in the kitchen mainly and finding. (laughs) So when you're talking about exploring
0: your mom's recipe book, you're not talking about cooking from it. You're talking about painting it.
1: Absolutely. My family and I have slightly different eating habits. And this was it's kind of like my bridge into their still talking about about the things about how much I love them and about how much these objects mean to me and how much even though I don't eat her apple pork chops anymore the book that contains that recipe still means something to me
0: I've been really interested in the way that food is related to memory and the way that food connects people. I just wonder if you could say anything about what you think about food and its power to connect
1: or its power to kind of jar memory. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Even before the paintings really took off as like, this is my thing. I think in grad school, I had made this painting of Ritter Sport, which is a chocolate from Germany. And I... It, it brings back a lot of memories of a very good friend that I have in Germany and our love for Ritter Sport. But I painted this painting and then the title is Not the Greatest. I suppose that's the point. And the title is referencing the fact that this is like, Ritter Sport is very good chocolate, but it's regular chocolate. But I'd rather eat that chocolate than a new chocolate that's more swanky, because Ritter sport brings me back to a better place than swanky chocolate, and I think that's the power that food has over us and and it can be a very good power, especially when you're in times of needing a piece of Ritter sport. <laughs>
0: And and you had talked about when you first discovered your interest in painting kitchens and um, places where food is prepared and food itself, that it was a way for you to connect across distance and time to your grandparents and their restaurant and your family's relationship with food.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm just thinking of all of the things over the years that maybe I've painted that even, you know, I remember a clove of garlic. And there it, that's the the other thing, too, is that the beauty of cooking your own food is that you're involved in the process. And there's such joy in making something that you're going to eat. You know, I don't, I'm not painting from photos. I'm sitting with these pieces of food and I'm smelling them. And food is, it's such a connector. And I do think that maybe when my eating habits changed as far as leading more of a like plant-based vegetarian lifestyle, it, it still remained a way that I could express something to people. This summer I was able to, or I guess this fall, paint my dad's birthday cake, which was just German chocolate, which my grandma, that was your birthday cake every year, no matter who you were, she made German chocolate cake and i still eat that and it's yeah the taste of that brings me back to her I remember in high school coming home and like watching mario batali aside from everything we know now but um and sort of just watching him walk through italy you know discovering and just being so connected to simplicity in food and i think that's the beauty of connecting with a raw material and that's also what painting is you know you're just dealing with oil and stone that's been ground into a paste well that's pesto (laughs) you know it's like that's that's just taking one thing and and touching it in a way that can all of a sudden transform it look around your kitchen there's weird stuff that happens and at least maybe in my family there it is but you someone decided to clean our kitchen well not someone obviously one of the three people who live there decided to clean the kitchen the kitchen gets cleaned and you know when you're cleaning and you kind of like put something somewhere because you're going to take care of it in a minute because you're just wiping something down i'm assuming that's what happened but like three tablespoons of butter still in the package got put in the water dispenser for like in a fridge where you would put your glass to like get water automatically put it in the in the tray and it sat there and it was kind of at first I was like oh I should put that away and then it was a moment of I think I'm just gonna wait and see who's gonna take care of it first and it, it sort of became this mind game and then I was like It's sort of like leaving just a little bit of milk in a jug. And then, you know, and that's what I call a paintable moment is like, that's, I I don't know, had I not painted that, I don't know if I would have remembered it. And it's funny. It's so funny. But then for me, like, it's so exciting to build the yellow, like buttery yellow can be a very challenging color to make. But accomplishing that was a lot of fun cakes are like something that I really like to paint and my mom is really big on kind of birthday cakes there's always that's always sort of an event with us and so I wanted to make her birthday cake really nice for her and coconut is one of those flavors that people are either like passionate or not passionate about she likes it so I was like I'm gonna put coconut on her cake this year and so I painted it and then I tried to do this really nice pink frosting but it, it didn't look very good anyhow I put the cake wait, in the fr- wait, wait. Oh sorry. Wait, sorry. you painted it or you made it? Oh sorry, I made it. I made it <laughs> and then we ate some of it and then it went into a fridge. And then I opened up the fridge door and we actually we have a couple fridges in our house. And this was the basement fridge, so it's quite empty. And I opened it up and it was like this white empty fridge with a white cake cuz she likes white cake and I used a seven-minute frosting and then this like bright pink. And it was like these kind of like there's three different whites happening there plus then like this pop of pink. And I think painting is this is my opportunity to only talk about those colors. And then somehow the lusciousness of the frosting, the cakiness of the cake, the smoothness of the plastic in that refrigerator all like somehow mingle themselves into that and that's exciting to me Mm -hmm. yeah yeah what about the
0: the time that you were painting watermelon in your kitchen
1: oh yeah there were like baby watermelons for sale brought one home and and I cut it up and I put it in a bowl and the bowl happened to be like bright green and then all the watermelons these days are seedless so it didn't have seeds And then I had just put it on the stovetop and the stove was black. And I kind of looked down and I was like, oh my God, it's the bowl is green. That's its rind. And then the stovetop was black. And it was really exciting because I thought, wow, I've completed the watermelon. And again, that's where I get that opportunity to talk about when you can make like bright pink, opaque, bright pink, and then find slightly darker maroonish red that adds depth. It's like, I don't know, I kind of freak out, especially when you're putting it on. And then once you, you know, put it on the surface of the, the canvas and you're like, well, that moment's over. Moving on. Onto the green. <laughs> yeah. I just get this, like, nudge in me and I'm like, okay, like, I have to paint. And there was actually one Sunday when my niece was over who was teething. My brother-in-law, my sister were there. Mom's making spaghetti and it's Sunday and the, the house is full and it's hot. And I was inspired. And I think, bless their souls, they didn't mind. And I sat up in the kitchen and I kind of, I was painting it. And my parents, most everyone knows not to talk to me when I'm painting, you know, super concentrated. (laughs) And then like kind of afterwards, my mom comes up to me and she's like, that was brilliant, you know? Like five minutes ago, I thought, I don't know what she's doing (laughs) because she saw it sort of like midway through. She's like, you really kind of pulled that one off, didn't you? I was like, and this is why no one's allowed to talk to me when I'm painting. I don't need peanut galleries.
0: That's great, though. Even though they couldn't talk to you, you were sort of integrated into the, the moment of the family and they got to watch your process, even if they couldn't interact directly
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: After a quick break, we'll return to my conversation with Molly Dowthit. She has a story about a TV tray, a placemat, and the power of paint to invoke emotions of gratitude and shared history. I'm Kate Young, and you're listening to Earth Eats. Production support comes from Elizabeth Rue, Enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net. Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio. Architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at griffeycreek.studio. And insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rash Insurance, offering comprehensive auto business and home coverage in affiliation with Beacon Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at 812-336-6838. In the midst of the holidays, some of us may be spending time with family, returning to the family home perhaps, and among the many things that families can disagree about, it seems food can stir up some deep divisions. After all, food is tied to culture and identity. Many of us leave home and strike out on new culinary paths, develop new food preferences, restrictions, or even principles about what we will and will not eat a place where we may have once come together, the family table, can become fragmented and tense. Our guest, Molly Douthit, a painter, returned to her family home after living abroad for years. Many things had changed, including Molly's diet. But she's found ways to continue to connect with her family over food, even if they aren't always eating the same thing. You mentioned that you had gone through a rough patch recently.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Moving home, I had a lot of probably culture shock and just like shift in like what was happening in my life and where I was going and a lot of questions. And I think luckily I was living with my family. There was a point where I was eating dinner, like in front of my mom every night, like just really upset about life and about things and I was, you know, and I'd sit in the, in the living room, actually. I'd bring my dinner out there, and I'd sit there, and I'd just be like a pile. And that, that went on for months. And then when I sort of started to come out of that, I made this painting of my, it's, and it's a terrible painting. It's pretty crappy. It's, it's of this couch, and then we have those, like, little TV trays, and it has a TV tray on it with a placemat. And now I look and this is how painting like this is why I paint. I look at that painting and the entire thing is like a weird shade of gray except for the placemat. And what I'm thinking of is the fact that like this woman sat across from me and like knew that I was going to come out of whatever I've been in and was patient enough because I didn't think that was going to happen. So it has nothing even to do with, like, I was making my food. But it was about sharing a moment with someone. And I'm so, so, so grateful to be home, to have come out of that. And that's why I want to celebrate the things that we do share, even if it's just the outside of a recipe book. Mm
0: -hmm. You mean the things you share with your parents?
1: Yeah, yeah. And those things that I grew up with and those things that have really grounded me since coming home. Um, just, oh, this is still here, <laughs> you know, and you're, you're okay with, with the thing, kind of like finding sameness is sometimes like the like a really way to help cope. Mm-hmm, yeah.
0: Molly Douthat is a painter living in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Find images of her work and links to more information about her on the Earth Eats website. That's eartheats.org. Next, we head back into the kitchen for that canning demonstration with Kendra Brewer. You'll recall the fun hand-crank apple-peeling gadget? After the apples are peeled, they get cored, sliced, and dropped directly into lemon water.
2: And that'll stop the oxidation and keep your apples looking beautiful.
0: Next, the apple slices hit the boiling water blanching bath.
2: They only need to boil for about a minute. So now I'm going to drain my apples. And then, the next step is going to be to uh, put these hot apples to this hot syrup that we've prepared. And the syrup has, it's basically sugar and water and, you know, apple juice and um, some seasonings like cinnamon and nutmeg. I'm not adding a thickening agent. I'm not going to add cornstarch or arrowroot or tapioca because those things will denature. They will not stand up to the canning process. What I'm going to do instead is after these jars have been canned and we actually go to use them for a pie filling, we'll just add some cornstarch or a thickener then after the canning process. So I'm going to put my apples into my syrup here and then we're going to fill a jar. There's some things while I'm doing this that I'd like to talk about in terms of canning with you. This method that I'm doing right here is called a hot water bath canning method. And this is something that you can do with any fruits or vegetables that are high acid. You can can tomatoes, you could hot water bath, things like pickles. Anything that doesn't have that acidity, say you wanted to preserve a tomato sauce that wasn't quite high enough acidity, you would need to pressure cook that. And that cans things at a much higher temperature and and pressure and makes those foods safe. For any foods that you're uh, canning though, you're gonna need to make sure that you're using a recipe that either comes from the USDA or an, a cooperative extension service. Uh, you don't just wanna take a recipe off of your favorite you know, food blog online and then decide to can that because you're not sure then that you've got the proper acidity and you could risk getting something like botulism. Botulism happens when you don't have an acidic enough environment. That's why we're so concerned about the acidity in the hot water bath canner. Um, Are there any questions about
0: that? Did you catch all that? The hot water bath method of canning is perfect for high-acid foods like fruit and plain tomatoes or foods with a lot of vinegar, like pickles. Low-acid foods like vegetables, soups, or sauces, those need to be pressure canned. Once you add garlic or onions or anything else to your tomatoes or tomato sauce, you need to pressure can. And always follow a canning recipe from the USDA or from a cooperative extension. We'll have links... At EarthEats.org.
2: On your recipe there, you'll you'll notice that it recommends leaving about an inch of headspace. You might not get a proper seal if you don't leave the recommended amount of headspace, and it's different for each recipe. And I've wiped the rim of my jar, and now I'm just going to kind of they call it finger tightening, so that it holds the lid in place while it's in the hot water bath canner. then I'm gonna go and put this into the canner and I'm gonna fill all my jars and then I'm going to process, you know, let these things boil for the amount of time listed on the recipe, which is uh, 25 minutes for, for a quart of apple pie filling. After they're done, you'll take them out and put them onto your towel again and then you'll know that your canning has been successful when you hear this little pop that'll happen. As they cool down, they'll suck the top of that lid in, and then you'll be able to turn this thing upside down without the screw top, and it will stay in place. And then you know you've got a proper seal, and you can store that jar for about a year.
0: I like that idea. It's a way to eat local year-round. During apple season in the fall, prep some fresh apples for pie filling, and can it in quart jars. When you're ready to make a pie, Whether it's the dead of winter or early summer, all you got to do is make the pie crust. It brings you one step closer to pie. I'm always in favor of that. We've got recipes for all of it. Flaky pie crust, spiced pie filling, and how to safely preserve it. All on our website, eartheats.org. EarthEats team includes Ayoban Binder, Chad Bouchard, Mark Chilla, Abraham Hill, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, Daniel Orr, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. EarthEats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey. Special thanks this week to Molly Douthit, Kendra Brewer and everyone at Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. Production support comes from insurance agent, Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business and home coverage in affiliation with Beacon Insurance. Beyond the expected, more at 812-336-6838. Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with personal financial services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at personalfinancialservices.net. And Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio. Architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at griffeycreek.studio.